This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Alongside me today, once again, Lionel Makokotlena. Welcome, Lions. Dumela Gary and Dumela Tapolkasters. It's Tuesday. The Swagas Legal Show is on. And everybody's listening. <laughs> okay, Lance, it's common knowledge that ESCOM is under severe financial pressure. Mm. And uh, in the financial year 2018, ESCOM, listen to this one, suffered a net loss of 2,3 billion rand. Shucks. Can you believe it? The worst pressure it faces now is to supply us with power, something it has to achieve to avoid mass load shedding again. South Africans have just about had a guts full of ESCOM. <laughs> That that goes back a few years. You know, remember when load shedding first came yes. out? I think Leon Schuster came out with that one. But they're still full of nonsense and um yeah. Ace. Lines on the financial side, uh, ESCOM has recognized that one way of improving its financial position is to cut the very expensive executive jobs and org- reorganize the management units. Hmm. Now, how do they achieve this? Well, they need to undertake a retrenchment process, which is never easy. Retrenchment is never easy. And imagine? it's neither pleasant either. So... Um, I think they're going to target, or they are targeting the ESCOM executives, those those big fat cats, and uh, these these fat cat uh, fat cat execs have clearly not had enough, and their advice to one another is surely don't stop till you get enough. This just reminds me of uh, our own Trevor Noah was actually explaining to the Americans the, the interpretation of this song in yeah. Sitswana. Oh, amazing! <laughs> I got to see that one. Oh no, you gotta! Uh, it's quite, uh, it's quite a very mouthful one. Uh, so uh, the the fat cat execs um, won't stop till they get enough. No, no, and, no, no. Uh, no. I, I think they may have to, lads, <laughs> because they're going to be retrenched very soon. Yeah. Joining us in studio today to discuss retrenchment. Of, uh, of the ESCOM people, of, of the ESCOM execs, and retrenchment generally. And uh, a lot of people want to know about retrenchment because a lot of us 
unfortunately are facing retrenchment. Yes. So um, one of our old young friends is attorney Johan Burtis. He's a labor law specialist of attorneys Baker McKenzie in Johannesburg. Welcome once again, Johan. Good to have you. Thank you very much, Gary. Always a pleasure to be here. So It's so nice. You always feel enthused when you walk into the studio. Thank you very much. Good to be here, guys. Good. Seeing you, we also feel enthused. Oh, yeah. Lines, our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. You always say, give us a... A like, and you can actually just send us any message that you would like us... Um, well, message into uh, telling us which sort of subject you would like us to talk about. We'll get you a specialist like we did today. Mr. Johan is here because of your request, wanting to know more about the whole retrenchment process. And you can also do so via uh, our... Twitter handle, is it? Yeah. Yeah, at Hetzlaw, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. That's where you can also just give us a mini message and we'll get back to you and make it upon that we do touch base with you and we'll find you somebody who's a specialist to really unpack the jargons and break into the bones. Yeah. Lanza, partner today. Now, this is really good news. Yeah. Legal Talk South Africa has hit the milestone. Woo-woo. They're over 200,000 Facebook members. Wow. Bravo. Next bravo. week, next week, we have the pleasure of interviewing Ray Green, the founder. Yeah. And he's going to tell us how they do it. Don't forget that 200,000 is uh, less. Well, after the number of people they scoped off for being naughty. So, Ooh. I mean, the figures would have been much, much higher. Yeah. So uh, that's something that uh, people get a bit rude and crude on, on these Facebook um, sites. Oh, so they've got to get rid of them. Yeah. Cool. Let's talk to Johan Burtis about uh, ESCOM. I've read, uh, Johan, that ESCOM have given what we call or what they call Section 189 letters to F-band, F for Freddie band employees. Firstly, what is an F-band employee? And secondly, what is a Section 189 letter? Uh, you you, you got to love it. Uh, throw in a couple of lawyers into any process and you get jargon, you get three-letter acronyms, you know. We know how to obfuscate things. So let's talk about the easy things um, uh, as far as explaining it is concerned at least. And the impact of it is, is, is rather dire. Section 189 is a section in the Labor Relations Act and it talks about dismissals for operational requirements. Now, just to take a step back again, if we're talking about dismissals under South African law, worth remembering that dismissals are governed in terms of the Labor Relations Act. Labor Relations Act says to all employees out there, you have the right not to be unfairly dismissed, and an employer may only dismiss you for one of three valid reasons. That includes reasons relating to your conduct, reasons relating to your capacity, or reasons relating to the company's operational requirements. Mm-hmm. And it's this last one where we stand still when we're talking about retrenchments because retrenchments in a nutshell is where the company is saying our operational requirements are now of such a nature that we no longer need you or we no longer can afford you. So it's about the employee's position. This is not about anything that the employee has done. This is not because the employee is incapable of doing the work. That is an incapacity issue. This is not about the employee misbehaving. You know, your people on Facebook where the employee would would make rude comments on Facebook, that's the sort of thing that can get you dismissed for misconduct. Mm. This is about you being a model employee, having done nothing wrong, but the company saying, I just can't afford to have your role anymore. Or on the other hand, you know, um, events have now overtaken us. I no longer have a need for your particular role. So five years ago, I needed somebody to be able to do that type of work that you're doing. Um, the market has now told us there's no need for that type of role anymore. I don't need. I've got a computer that can do what you're doing at the moment. We've introduced new technology. This is very real when it talks when we talk about um, uh, robotization, AI. You know, we, the, the, uh, if, you, if you look at driverless vehicles, for instance, you know, all the talk about drivers in the in the medium term becoming superfluous because of of robotics and AI. 
this is what they'll face. They'll face mm-hmm. a dismissal for operational requirements where the employer says, I no longer have an operational need for you in my role, in now, my business. Now, ESCOM may well have the need for them. But they can't afford them. Is that another issue? No, 100%. And this is, the, this is the issue. So you're running a business. You're saying, listen, I need people. I need people to do the job. But I just can't pay your salaries anymore. Mm-hmm. So, But my operational requirements include my financial needs. And my financial needs of the business indicate to me that um, I can't afford to have you. As much as I would like to have you in this role, I just, I, I just can't afford you anymore. Yeah. Uh, what we often see in practice, and this is what I suspect, you know, reading through the, the, the ESCOM uh, annual report and looking at the Sorry, the what, are these, what do these execs earn? Uh, did you look at the report? I, I yeah. had a look at the report. And, yeah. and uh, make no mistake, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert on executive remuneration, but mm. um, I, I don't think – Many of them are struggling. If I look at, you know, their their last financial report, uh, the, these guys are doing well. And there's a, there's a whole debate on executive remuneration. You know? mm-hmm. um, the the pundits will tell you that there's a war for talent at the highest spheres, and you need to pay executives well in order to retain them, and you need to have long term and short term incentives and share uh, share option schemes in order to attain the right, uh, the, the right talent. Mm-hmm. When when it comes to state owned entities like this. I'm not 100% convinced as an outsider and as a taxpayer, I have to say, mm. that there is really such a war for talent and you absolutely need the Elon Musks. Well, you there's know, no to, opposition to, to, to risk on. I mean, to, they're a monopoly, really. Sure. So I'm not so, suggesting yeah. for a second that anybody can go in there and do the work that the executives are doing. Mm. But I think at stages we either hide behind the issue of executive remuneration or that the war for talent is not as severe in certain fields as it would as it uh, as it is stated to be here, and that there is a much larger pool of people who can comfortably do that work, you know, and that sometimes we get this whole issue of executive remuneration wrong. But coming back to the uh, to the operational requirements issue, it's often in practice that. Uh, an employer does not merely rely or that is there's not one uh, driving factor that causes the the, the retrenchment typically a, a business will say look i've got financial needs and financial constraints on the one hand mm-hmm. but i also have structural uh, needs and this is what escom is saying they're saying they're going to combine some roles i, I think I, I recall seeing it and procurement there for instance they're going to collapse some bands they're going to take put pe- people on lower bands so they're saying, in terms of my structure, I need to change my structure to to adapt to the business realities, to the vision, and to the financial needs of the business. Mm. Um, but then I can also unlock some operational efficiencies if I combine roles. And and these are very uh, much accepted reasons for retrenchments and for an operational requirement. So when we look at substantive fairness of this process, you know, they would tick those boxes to say financial needs, structural needs, and other similar needs as to why we need to restructure this business. When they talk F-band, we're talking execs. Is that, is that really what it is? Yeah, so, so there, there are various, um, um, many organizations use different um, type of uh, philosophies, mm. you know, remuneration and job grading philosophies in order to to, to grade roles. And there are Pattersons, Baromneys, Hayes, there are, there are various world-recognized or worldwide-recognized uh, methodologies that are used. Now, my understanding is here we're talking about the, the higher level um, uh, of, of, uh, uh, of executives uh, and, and senior managerial employees when, when we talk about the F-bands. How really does it work in practice, Johan? These, these people will get letters, these execs, saying that we are wanting to retrench you. What are the next steps? Are there, is there a consultative process? What goes on? Good question, Gary. So it's, it's worth bearing in mind, you know, we, we 
took the step back initially and say, just remember that there are valid reasons. Your, your rights are firstly protected in terms of the Labor Relations Act. And th- these rights, it's important to note, also apply to executives. So there's no remuneration cutoff that says that once you earn above a certain threshold, you are no longer entitled to these rights. Mm. Um, so you've got a substantive right in, in saying that it must be for a valid reason. We said already that these fall within that um, uh, ambit and that parameter. The other right that you have in relation to dismissal is a procedural right. Mm. And when it comes to dismissals for misconduct, uh, incapacity, and operational requirement, there are different processes that ought to be followed prior to effecting that dismissal. And especially in respect of operational requirements dismissals, that process is of critical importance. You know, when you look at dismissals for misconduct, if you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, you know, there's a disciplinary hearing, you get fired for that. Yes. You know, if you're incapacitated, you know, we'll, we'll talk to our guests later on about, um, about disability and medical incapacity and all the difficulties related to that. But if you are uh, incapacitated because of injury, ill health or poor work performance, there's a different process that is followed for that. But in respect of those, the procedural fairness and substantive fairness are quite distinct, you know, and you'll go to the CCMA, you'll go to the Labor Court, and the court will make a finding in your favor, either on procedure or substance or both. As far as operational requirements are concerned, retrenchments, this is the one area of the law where the courts say that if you don't follow a fair procedure, it can actually negatively impact on the substantive fairness of the dismissal. So if you don't go through this proper consultation that you mentioned, you know, you can be missing things that should have or could have influenced your thinking as to should I make these people redundant or not. Mm. So my advice to employers out there is be really careful and put some careful thought in how you consult and don't just go through a, a rote tick box exercise to say I've had three consultations, I've, I've given them an opportunity to make representations and I'm now at the position where I can pull the plug on this. Mm. Um, for employees out there, I would my advice to them would be put some careful, considered thought into what the reasons are that the employer is putting forward and what alternatives you can put on the table. Because you can actually and you should be able to meaningfully influence this process. And if you are not, if the employer has already made up its mind that I'm going to return to you no matter what you say or do, you will be able to get relief at the CCMA or the Labor Court afterwards. Do, do they still have the principal LIFO, last in, uh, first out? Does that still apply? FIFO. LIFO and FIFO, these are, yeah. these are, these are two wonderful acronyms that, that we use in the, in the context of retrenchments. So LIFO talks about last in FIFO, FIFO talks about first in, first out, and they're, Debates both ways as to which one is acceptable. Mm. That fall within the bracket, though, of selection criteria. We talked about the consultation process. The employer issues the employee, and in these guys, the executives, with their Section 189 notices. The next step is they must consult. And the law gives us, in Section 189 sub 3, a whole list of, criteria, uh, of factors on which they must uh, re- try and reach consensus during this consultation process. One of those factors being selection criteria. What does it mean? It means that I've got 10 people in this group. From the 10 people, I only have work for five, or I can only afford to keep five of you. Mm. Now, how do I select which five gets a job and which five I have to make redundant? And that very aspect of who to select, you know, is part of the consultation process. So the employer will typically go into that process and say, listen, I want to be able to choose my five best execs. The employees would like to say, listen, um, I, I think you should choose the, the people who… Um, who you know, who, the longest. Correct. Things. I mean, yeah. that'll be the fairest thing to do, you know. Mm. But asking the employees for, to, to give views on selection criteria is not, it's like asking, uh, you know, the turkey for its views on Thanksgiving. Mm. <laughs> 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 it'll, it'll have, uh, everybody will look after their own interest at that stage. So that's why the law allows us to say that 
the, the employer must consult with the employees about selection criteria. If the parties are unable to reach agreement on selection criteria, then the employer can implement its own selection criteria provided it's fair and objective. Mm. So LIFO, the courts have in many instances said LIFO is both fair and objective. So it doesn't unfairly discriminate and you can objectively determine whether a person falls within that category that should be retained or discarded. Um, uh, FIFO, there's a good argument for FIFO to be made as well to say that, listen, um, the, the people who, who have been here the longest, you know, they should actually make way for new people to come into the business, you know, to rejuvenate some yeah, new some, blood. Correct. Yeah. I mean, if you think, of, let's, let's use a, a classical example, if, if I may use the cliche of a, an advertising agency, you know, uh, we all have these visions of advertising agency being young, vibrant workplaces where if you reach 35, you're like past retirement <laughs> age, you know. Mm. So, so there the thinking may be to say, I need youngsters with young ideas coming in, all my, my, um, my clients out there target the, the young market so it doesn't help me that I've got a you know 65 year old who can't connect with that market in the workplace mm. I mean uh, that example is a terrible one because it brings all sorts of other issues in relation to discrimination on the basis of age into the equation but just to, to give credence to the argument say that there is a, real, uh, a, a universe where FIFO can be a fair selection criteria as well but generally what employers will try and settle on is to say let's choose the people that is most suitable for the business and agree on those selection criteria, and, and generally speaking, that work that works. Out. What are the um, Johan, What are the alternatives to dismissal that an employee can raise? He says, "Listen, I don't want to be retrenched. Sure. Um, can we work something else? What are those something else's he can work out?" I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you raised this because I think often that is where these type of consultations go wrong. You know, the, the employees see the redundancy letter, they see the severance pay to be paid, and a lot of time and energy goes about negotiating severance pay, but not a lot of time and effort is spent on saying, is this really the best or the only alternative open to us? Mm. Some of those alternatives would be to say, listen, we've, we, the business is going through a slump at the moment. You know, all indications are that in six months, nine months, a year from now, business will pick up again. How about, you know, if I can get 10 or 20 or 30 of you to raise your hands and say, listen, I'm willing to go on unpaid leave for three months or six months or a year, provided that I've got a job when I come back. That is an alternative. Mm-hmm. How about job sharing? So we've got five people doing the same uh, same uh, role. You say you can only afford three. Mm-hmm. Instead of making two people redundant, why don't between the, the five of us, we share the role for three, we all take a commensurate salary cut, but in that process, you can still retain all the skills of, of, of everybody. Does that really happen in practice? It, Do you have it, employees saying we'll share a job? I mean, does that really does that really happen? Um, no, and it's worth raising it as an alternative because there may be environments when out it there. Happen, when it, yeah. I haven't seen it work in practice, and the sort of um, feedback that I get from clients when we raise this and try and explore possibilities is that I run the risk as an employer that if I were to implement this, the three people that would have had a full time job. You know, that can't afford actually to live on a reduced salary, but mm. now are begrudgingly doing it just so that they don't have to let two of their colleagues be made, re- uh, made redundant. Mm. Th- I will probably lose them in the short term as well mm. because they will go out in the market, go and find another employer who would be willing to hire them on a full-time basis and a full-time salary. But it may be, it may be in certain areas and certain roles that you can uh, employ that sort of flexibility where, where staff will actually say to you, I'm thinking of uh, airline environments, for instance, where you have – 
um, uh, flight crew on reduced schedules. You know, where you say, okay, cool, I'm going to put you on like a, a half half a, half a schedule. You're not going to fly all the hours of the of the normal cabin crew, but I'm going to um, put you on reduced hours and reduced salary and reduced perks, just so that I've got the benefit of a larger pool of people that I can draw from, mm-hmm. um, and and therefore I don't have to make anybody redundant. Yeah, and when it comes to money and you're going to get a severance package, mm-hmm. is that severance package actually stipulated or is it a negotiated package? And how, as an employee, can I get more for myself? Give me some tips. Sure yeah. thing. So this whole process, all the issues listed for consultation, you know, including what are the alternatives that you've considered as the employer and what are the reasons why you rejected those alternatives? When is the proposed date for the redundancy? What the severance pays that you proposed? Any other assistance that you're willing to offer to me during this consultation process? You know, yeah. what is the possibility of future rehire? All of those topics for consultation. You know, the employee is entitled, and I would urge employees to put their positions forward and say, "Listen, in respect of the alternatives that you've given here, I disagree with you that that and that and that alternative that you rejected should have been rejected, and for the following reasons, because that places an obligation on the employer to go back to the employees and say, "We've considered your representations, and this is why we disagree with it." Mm. As far as severance pay is concerned, in terms of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, severance pay is. Um, uh, there's a minimum severance pay that's applicable in terms of Section 41 of the Act that says you are entitled, if you are made redundant, to no less than one week's remuneration per completed year service. So if you've worked there for five years and 11 months, you know, then you're entitled to five weeks severance pay only. Mm. But that is as a matter of statutory right. It is perfectly um, acceptable for the employees to say, okay, cool, you've said that you're going to pay me one week per completed year service. We propose that you pay us two weeks. Um, so it's, it's, it's a negotiation process. But he doesn't have to, the employer. The employer doesn't have to, and that's yeah. where the technical difference between negotiation and consultation comes in. Yeah. Negotiation, you know, everything comes to naught if the parties don't reach agreement. Consultation, the employer retains the right to say, okay, I've listened to all of you. I've considered your representations. I've really carefully applied my mind to it. These are the reasons why I can't implement what you're proposing, or these are the reasons why I disagree with your representations, and ultimately I'm going to make the call. And that is the technical difference. But as far as the structure and the process of that um, that consultation is concerned, you know, it should look like a negotiation session. You know, you should be able to put positions forward. The employees must consider it, come back with the representations, and and that is what the law envisages. The, the, the uh, labor relations access. The parties must aim to reach consensus mm. about these things, and that is a, an ideal consultation process where eventually the employees say, "Yes, none of us wanted to be retrenched, but we understand why you want to do this and why you need to do this." We understand that you're trying to be fair as far as kicking this the date for the retrenchment out as far as possible we said what are the alternatives how can I, if you're an employee how do you put yourself in a better position say why do you need to retrench me just before christmas can't we can't we kick this out until january february march you know and, and there's maybe a possibility that the business will pick up at that stage but if it doesn't retrench me in march don't retrench me now as far as the severance pay is concerned you know offer me offer me more severance pay you know, if you look at what you're paying your your executives, you know, um, wh- why do why do I need to suffer in this um, in this process? Another sorry, alt- can you make it taxi uh, tax efficient in the employees' hands? Sure. So yeah. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm no tax expert by any stretch of the imagination, but my understanding of the tax implication on this is that there's a, a an a, a, an amount that's made available mm. for an employee once during its life uh, the employee's lifetime that for the purpose of severance or retirement. Um, there's a, a tax-free amount that's um, that's made available to the employee. My understanding is I think it's about 500,000 rand. Mm-hmm. So 
you apply to the receiver of revenue. Um, most employers do e-filing. It's an online process. You say to the receiver, I'm about to make this employee redundant. This is the severance pay that I'm going to pay him. This is the leave pay, notice pay, all the other payments due to the employee. And the receiver will then issue a tax deduction directive on that amount. And everything else being equal for severance pay less than 500,000 rand, you should be able to get that tax free. Most companies, when they're about to retrench, they consult with their attorneys like yourself and uh, labor experts. What about the employee? If he's not, if he doesn't have a union behind him, should he take advice before he gets, goes through the process? I know I've got a, you know, I've got a dog in this fight, you know, I'm an attorney and I would, <laughs> you know, I probably don't come from a neutral process, but it's absolutely, if, if heaven forbid, you know, if something had to happen to me or my family in, in that situation, I will always say to them, listen, go and seek legal advice. Um, mm. it's, it's always good just to have somebody that can look at these facts coldly, clinically, especially somebody that mm. specializes in this type of field and say to you, this is what you can do. You know, these are the things, um, not just only what's contained within the statutes, but this is how our court view this. And this is where you've got, where you're in a good position, where you have some leverage during these negotiations, stroke consultations. Mm. And this is where the employer is in a good position, you know. So my advice so, to So the attorney be, doesn't come to the meetings with you. He guides you from, 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 from behind as such. Yeah. You, and you, uh, he, he's there for you. He's, he's there to tell you how to. Best serve your own interests. Uh, yeah. Generally speaking, employers um, are fairly reluctant to allow legal representatives in, into their internal uh, processes. And, mm. I, and I must say to you, um, I would be one of those attorneys that advise employers and say, listen, don't allow lawyers into your internal processes because then you turn a, a small circus into mm. a big circus generally. Mm, I mean, it's sure. not, it's just because of what we do and how we practice and, you know, our diaries, um, it's, it, it becomes really messy. So yeah. I think the process is better served and the employee paradoxically by getting an attorney, getting advice from the attorney in the side. Remember the attorney doesn't have any relationship with the, with the employer. That employee is still in a symbiotic relationship with the employer until such time that they part ways. Mm. In my experience, I think the employee is generally in a better position to appeal to the employer to make those representations and actually change the employer's mind my, my concern and what i've seen in a number of occasions that once you start throwing lawyers into that process there mm. um, it can take the parties further away from an amicable resolution and gear them towards a, a dispute rather and and I, and I say that with the greatest of respect there's some wonderful um, employment lawyers out there that actually assist parties, employers and employees, you know, to get to a resolution without any of these difficulties. But I've also seen the, the other side of the coin where, where it, does, it does not happen, man. So mm. if I'm an employee, I would take my legal advice, but then I will go and make those representations on my own unless I really feel that, listen, um, they've got an in-house legal counsel and I'm just not equipped to go and do that and I'll be better represented by somebody with similar skills. But um, for the ESCOM executives, I'd be very surprised if they had to rock up there at the consultations with a lawyer. I mean, how long do you think that ESCOM process will take? So, um, I mean, is it a, how long is a piece of string, or is it within a few weeks? How do you see this? Sure. So, our the Labour Relations Act in Section 189 distinguishes between a large scale retrenchment. And, you know, for want of a better term, a normal retrenchment. Mm. So once you reach a certain number, um, a certain number of retrenched employees over a 12 month period, it triggers large scale retrenchment provisions. This is where the uh, legislature changed the, the act. And I think it was 2002 where this happened, where uh, the trade unions gain additional rights in respect of large scale retrenchments. Um, so, f- for instance, if it's a large-scale retrenchment, if, if, you, if you make more than 50 people redundant in a 12-month period, it becomes a large-scale retrenchment. 
one of the effects of it being classified as a large-scale retrenchment is that employees now all of a sudden have the right to go and strike in support of a demand that they should not be made redundant or that the redundancy should be, should be reversed. You know, for, for general unfair dismissals, you don't have such a right. There are also, also additional time periods involved. So getting back to your question as to how long does this process take, mm. there's a 60-day period uh, from the day that the notice is issued um, that the employer is barred from issue a termination notice. So these employees have a 60-day lifeline at the very least mm. unless they reach agreement with the employer in the interim. And this is typically what will happen, especially at executive level. I'd be very surprised if these executives don't come to some sort of a, a mutual uh, uh, agreement with the employer in terms of which ESCOM will pay them an additional sweetener, the employees agree to be retrenched, and they waive any claims to challenge the fairness of the retrenchments afterwards. Excellent. That's the voice of Johan Wurtis of Baker McKenzie. Many thanks for this, Johan. Uh, you're tired. Yeah, com- <laughs> you com- half an hour has been going. Absolutely. Yeah. To our live listeners, please don't run away because we, we have a great segment now on disability with Johan as well who's not disabled by any means. Um, so uh, many thanks for listening to this segment, and uh, we'll be right back. This is CliffCentral.com.